Lego has the best manuals and guides probably in the world with some problems. So I ran a bunch of experience and I had experiments and I had a bunch of people come through and build Lego and I watched how they used the guide and how they did this and gained. So it's another way to, you know, how can I take, if I can't get into device, how can I bring it out of the device and into the real world and what's that real world comparison? But even then it's like I watched someone go through this build of a dinosaur with Lego a couple times using the manual and I asked them the question. I was like, hey, what do you think? How many more times would you have to do this to learn? And he looked at me like I was crazy and said, I'm not learning this. I'm just reading the manual. I'm like, oh shit, right? We're in trouble because we've been creating this step-by-step guide saying we're training people when we're not. We're supporting them to learn this thing, but we have to give them room to make mistakes because that's how you learn. Like there's all these things that are important in learning, but if you're doing it in 3D and manipulating it and interacting with it, that amount of understanding with the data and research Microsoft has goes up exponentially. So I can, I know why you would retain what I teach you in 3D better and retain it longer than if I just put you in a class for a couple of days. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Data Binge podcast, where I have discussions with technologists and business leaders focused on the human relationship with technology. And as you probably already know by subscribing, we really cover a fascinating gambit of tech all the way from AI and successfully completing machine learning projects to emerging topics like today's episode on mixed reality in the modern workplace. This is a fire episode lined up for you today as Sharla Pereira joins the podcast. Sharla is the lead designer for all authoring on Dynamics 365 Guides, which she actually just shipped a couple weeks ago. Dynamics 365 Guides, or what Sharla will refer to as Guides, is a mixed reality application for the Microsoft HoloLens that allows an enhanced learning ecosystem by providing holographic instructions within the flow of work, of course, when and where employees need it. So imagine putting together some complex machine on an assembly line, having the worker wearing a HoloLens device and having a series of step-by-step instruction cards with image and video visually tethered to the areas where the work needs to be accomplished, ultimately leading to fewer errors and greater retention of learned skills. And we'll talk much more about that in the discussion. Very cool technology and vastly needed with today's demand for high-tech manufacturing skills. As we know, there's a large skills gap in the industry and democratizing those skills to folks that may not have the technical background. And Charlie even shares a couple different stories about meeting people in the manufacturing environment, especially the one story that stuck with me about this woman who had never picked up a wrench and she was covered in bruises from being in that semi-dangerous environment and what it means for her to really understand how to do her job. Charlotte has been in tech for about 20 years, and she began her career as a graphic designer. Charlotte joined Microsoft 11 years ago, and she shipped everything from Microsoft Office to Microsoft Fresh Paint, which I didn't know this, but it was a project originating from Microsoft Research that simulates oil on a digital canvas. Charlotte spent her time in academia focused largely on graphic design, including some time both at Capilano College in Vancouver and the Art Institute of Seattle. She has an incredible passion for design, as you'll see, 
and talks about how important things like empathy and love are in her ethos and how these values help her know who her users are in an intimate way. So she's very user customer focused in terms of how she looks at design and how she creates uh, these different products. We talk about Charlotte's biggest professional lesson incurred at Microsoft about the importance of knowing how to sell yourself and change your mindset, which for her was about being more data centric in her design advocacy to team members. We, of course, talk deeply about what design really means for Sharla, love, empathy, humanity, and fighting for what is needed for your customer, and inherently knowing what your customers need, not just what they want. Sharla shares with us her design principles. Is it discoverable? Is it usable? Is it authentic? Is it desirable? Is it likable? We talk about the differences between the different technologies VR, MR, and AR, and specifically how her newest product, Guides, helps people learn by doing. And she tells some real stories about spending time with first-line workers in a high-paced manufacturing environment, all the way to the nuances of working in a factory that she discovered that helped her understand how to design a better product. Charlotte also visits quite a bit on the topic of becoming a 3D designer and what that academic and experience map should look like if you are indeed interested in a career in design. Lastly, we talked a lot about learning, the importance of giving people the opportunity to make mistakes, some data-driven observations about learning, and how workers should and will be learning in the now and soon-to-come future. As you can see, this is a really, really fun episode. Sharla is amazingly real and upfront with the human side of technology and business. And I think you will easily connect with her perspective and learn a lot about the different ways in terms of how people work and what it means to work in today's quickly evolving world, especially if you're working at a desk and just having that inclusive perspective about how others work in these these tough environments. If you haven't already, please leave a comment about the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps me better circulate the content so I can better serve you through great guests and conversations. The episode is also available on Spotify. Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. Thank you for listening. And now I bring you Sharla Pereira. Hey, Sharla, how are you? Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining the, uh, the Data Binge podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I've never done one of these, so I'll do my best. Yeah, we're going to have a ton of fun today. We know of each other. We actually don't know of each other. We're we're no. we're, we're strangers, and you're all the way in, in Canada, <laughs> in California. Um, but I had a really great conversation with Wendy Bauer. We were talking about um, building uh, diverse ecosystems in the manufacturing landscape ecosystem, and she was talking about um, a skills a skills gap kind of emerging in this in this digital transformation world of manufacturing and and high talent um, work environments and. She had a really great perspective. I asked her who else I should be talking to. She connected me with someone in, on your team, the HoloLens Mixed Reality team. Yep. And they connected me with you and they said that you were fantastic. And in, in our few conversations, I think uh, they were correct. So uh, happy to have you on today. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about what you're doing at Microsoft uh, generally and, and a little bit about your career and, and how you got yeah. here. Sure. Um, so I've been in tech for over 20 years now. 
Uh, I started as a graphic designer. I, coming out of college, I was the first person to put my portfolio on a laptop. So that dates me, but it also kind of, you know, got me into tech and websites and recruited. And I was recruited by Microsoft and a small startup. I ended up going to the small startup, learning a ton of stuff, owning my own company, but then realizing that I needed some mentorship. And back then, Microsoft, um, from a brand perspective, I, I just don't think it was doing very well. Um, there was a lot of kind of design needs that needed to be met. So I actually went and took a contract there and really enjoyed the contract and enjoyed what I was doing. And I kind of liked the underdog aspect of the design world in Microsoft back then. And I wanted to make change. I've always been very competitive. I've always been that weird art girl that no one understands. Um, so I took a contract and again, it was 2d based web screen based stuff. Um, but I was actually one of the first people in the startup that actually tried to put 3d online. So, uh, I made some games, uh, that had 3d, um, inside of it. My Sharla fun fact is I worked with the Jackson five and actually got to go to Neverland ranch and hang out. I almost got eaten by his tiger, but that was what I was trying to put some, uh, put some 3D on online, which was kind of the first time people, anyone was trying to do that. And then as we progressed into my career at Microsoft, I've been at Microsoft 11 years now, and I did Office 365, and I shipped that, and I got super bored. And I got into a team called the Startup Business Group, which I don't think exists anymore, but uh, I shipped this product called Fresh Paint. It was a Heroes app for Windows 8. And it was pretty amazing because now this was, again, this 3D theme in my life where I was 3D painting on a 2D screen and this really cool stuff that came out of Microsoft Research. And it was beautiful and amazing and probably my favorite project of my whole career. Um, and then I suddenly was me, Sharla Pereira, who hardly graduated high school that went to art college, was working on a robot for Bill Gates. And so that's when my, like, it sparked for me. I was like, this interface thing, this touch-based connect, technology, art meets design meets usability, all these things kind of blew up in my head, and I was just in love with everything I was doing. Um, and then I got recruited into what is now called HoloLens, but I didn't know what it was at the time. So it was really interesting because I had to take the job without knowing what it was. But everyone just sold me a super cool, and so it was kind of like curiosity killed the cat a little bit on that, where I took a job, and then suddenly I was in a basement in Microsoft campus with this thing on my head, seeing holograms, and it was amazing. Um, but I had no idea what the heck we are going to do with it. And so that's many eight plus years ago, um, been working on that project, on this project, a couple different dips and having children in between there. And now working on Dynamics 365 guides for Hololens. That's very cool. And I'm just looking. It's I think the coolest thing about it is you just don't run into people who, on an everyday basis at Microsoft, who don't have a like a heavy engineering, heavy tech background, like yeah. super heavy. Like they've been around for 20 years. Or mm -hmm. they've they've had 20 years of experience, specifically at Oracle and all these different places. Or they've been at Microsoft. Yeah. You know, since they they came out of the womb, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> they've just been here forever, and which is yeah. amazing because they're all just dyed in the wool, uh, super passionate people. But you coming to Microsoft, you know, art of art, uh, the Art Institute of Seattle, a ton, uh, Academy of Art, 
um, graphic design, uh, yeah. academia. It's something I'm really passionate about. And I, it's, I go and talk to schools and students and girls about this. And it's like, you don't have to be from MIT to work at Microsoft or a tech giant. You don't have to be building, like have a degree in engineering and robotics or whatever that is. I did it. You can too. Right. And it, it is, it's the uniqueness and the diversity that you bring to the table that actually, I think these larger corporations are really, really starting to see is that they want all these different voices. And I think also in the last 11 years, what I've seen pivot is we're not creating things in a vacuum. We're actually like they're listening to this human centered design world that we have to know who our users are in an intimate way so that we can design for them. And that makes me curious. And I'm, I'm looking at some of the, um, uh, recommendations on your LinkedIn profile. And Uh-oh. I was just trying to figure out, you know, who you are as a person. And, and it was kind of illuminating. And this one gentleman, it was, it was a while ago, uh, Darmesh Singh. Mm. He, men- he mentioned that um, you were dealing with design at Microsoft uh, <laughs> with Office 365. Yeah. And he mentioned that there was an uphill battle. Yep. And you were uh, very good at approaching that. And I, I just, mm-hmm. I'm like, what is he talking about? Read those. <laughs> when I'm feeling low, yeah. when I'm feeling down, just go like read my LinkedIn profile, maybe. Yeah. That's so, really, what, yeah. what is that? What does that mean? Can you tell me, like, what? what oh, gosh. What was he capturing? Well, then there were 500 designers in a 90,000 person company. It was ridiculous, right? Like, there was no design. Design wasn't really, it didn't have a seat at the table. I mean, even until a couple of years ago, there was the triad, but design didn't have that seat at the table. Then you, you add that, like, I was, it was not normal that a female <laughs> and a designer was anywhere near these conversations. So be, to be taken seriously was really hard. And so I can remember my first meeting at Microsoft, I went into this meeting as Sharla, the art design person, and I showed the current VP a mood board. And he looked at me and he's like, Sharla, what the hell is a mood board and why do I even care? And that was the biggest lesson for me, right? Like, why are you do- who is this person and what does he need to hear for me to sell this to? And that's what I was looking for to get out of my career. I needed these lessons and I needed to start learning them. And so the next time I went into the room with him, I knew he was data focused. I was like, oh, 52% of people like blue or whatever it was. And I had data to back up my designs in a way that I had done before. I just wasn't selling it that way. And it went through and it got approved. I think I think what Darmesh is talking about is I think there was like 400 different variations of the Office 365 homepage that I had to do because of the political logistics that were going into it, right? Who gets the top billing? Who is like, who, who you know? And it's what you need to deal with and become flexible but also like maintain your UX principles of why you're choosing certain things so you can fight for them. And I'm completely unfamiliar. This is all ground I've never talked about <laughs> or to someone. No one has come on the, on the podcast to discuss this. So what does design mean to you? When, when I think of design, I think of someone whiteboarding a bunch of like storyboards <laughs> and then trying yeah. to understand what the customer wants and how they integrate. 
But I feel like stereotypically they have colored hair, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, and you kind of have some purple, like, <laughs> highlight. Like right now. Um, yeah, and they have their hand on their chin a lot, and they lean back. Um, I know design, is, to me, is my craft. It's what I do. It's what I'm passionate about. It's everything to me. But what it is is human, empathy, love for your product, and love for the person that has to use it. And... It's designing something that's needed, right? And fighting for what's needed for that person. And not like, I think there's a very, it's been said a lot in design where it's like, you know, your customer can want something, but you, you as the designer have to know what they need. And those two things are very different. Um, but I love what I do. And it's anything from designing a new dollhouse for my kid to designing, you know, a new product for HoloLens. So, so you're oriented around the, the 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 consumer experience, their touch points, the love of the product, how the product and the and the user integrates. Mm-hmm. So, where does this play? Just taking now, kind of moving forward a little bit. Where does this play a role in augmented reality, virtual reality, the space that you're in today? Like, sure. what's going on? In, what's going on in the industry? I I think of augmented reality. I think of a three thousand dollar Hololens that sure. one of my customers is using and they're, they're taking apart an engine and yeah. it's all fit. It's all mixed reality <laughs> or they're, they're doing some stuff yeah. in a Lowe's um, <laughs> or, you know, maybe they're the, the, the three people that actually bought an Oculus headset. Um, maybe they're off doing some things in gaming, but well, like, I think, well, I think like, so the quest um, for VR has finally become affordable, right? So when I say VR, I mean virtual reality. So you're fully immersed, um, just to make, make sure that I'm that everyone understands the terms that I use because they're very they're, they're very mixed up in our world right now. But um, I think that because it's affordable, now someone could get it for Christmas and now someone could play multiple games on this thing. Whereas two years ago, that hadn't happened yet. People were buying the Vive and all these big devices, but they couldn't maintain them tech, technically. And there weren't enough games on them to keep you going, right? Um, Mixed reality is what I call HoloLens or Google Glass or Magic Leap. It's where I am mixing the amount of bits in my environment together, right? So it's it's a matter of this R is like the middle ground of how many bits are in my world, right? So, and it's very environmental and it's very, and so when I first started on this, it, a lot of the people had come out of Connect and were working on Holland. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what it was going to do. Our scenarios were like, oh, maybe you'd wear this grocery shopping. Like, it was crazy. Like, we didn't know. Um, but we were coming up with these great scenarios and trying to figure out things to do with it. Um, and then, to me, AR is when um, I'm doing Pokemon Go, let's say. <laughs> you know, it's, it's my cell phone. It's my laptop. It's augmenting my reality, but I still need a device in between it. So what's going on with it now? I think it's becoming attainable. But I also think this huge latch on to enterprise for HoloLens and these mixed reality devices is absolutely game changing. And our customers for Dynamics 365 Guide sees it. The people that I work with and go to the factories and visit with and all these amazing things that I get to do, they see the value. And that's what's changed for me over the last X number of years, right? Is that I'm, I, the scenarios are easy now. I can't get features quick enough into our product because people want and need it, right? 
And it's that want and need that's this magical thing that's happening right now for, for HoloLens specifically and what I'm working on. So I, so I, I kind of stole this little blurb from okay. a, a YouTube link that you put on your profile mm. and it was talking about work mm. and, and what work is becoming and not necessarily the future of work, but work in terms of the ecosystem and the person. And it was talking about work means you have to think and you're yeah. creative and you're yeah. collaborative. And that's what yeah. work should really be. And the mixed reality team is trying to help find new ways to express creatively and how to problem solve creatively right. as well. Yeah. And it seems like this is everything I've seen around the HoloLens. That's what it is. And you're mentioning, I love how you're talking about the life cycle of we don't know what it is. And yeah. now we're targeting enterprise. And it seems like Microsoft is focused on this 2 billion person populace, uh, what we call first line workers. Yes. And uh, 80% of employees globally are first line workers, meaning they don't have a desk. So they're right. all these different areas and ecosystems where they can't actually sit down and look at things. And now you're doing things like you're calling for an expert for help. You're training employees, yeah. you're doing space planning. You're just like totally reviving how these people are thinking. The, the one that the remote assist, what we call it today was actually my first prototype. I was working with an amazing team of people and I can't remember who or what or where, but this prototype came out where we called it magic window and you could draw, I could in my laptop, draw into your HoloLens. And then the scenarios just grew and built out of that and became Skype and then went up into space. <laughs> and now it's remote assist, which is, it's, a, it's amazing, right? It's, a, it's the, 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 just the development or the evolution of something and how it's grown. It, it, it's the people that have worked on the projects that are just amazing. And they're so strong to keep on fighting. We, I can remember living in the basement of building 92 for like years doing the same demo over and over and over again to executives trying to prove the value of this thing, right? Um, it was pretty interesting. And it, it, it's really taking off. Uh, yeah. I wasn't really sold on this whole phenomena at all. And mm. I was thinking to myself, and I mean, I, and I work at Microsoft. So yeah. I can't imagine how the rest of the world looks at this, but there's been a ton of things going on. Like just, just last November, uh, the Pentagon awarded Microsoft almost a $500 million contract to basically make our military more efficient, more mobile, more aware of the of yeah. their ecosystem and their environment you're having trucking companies that are training their employees i mean ordering these things by the dozen right and you have these processes like this company that the new york times talked about pacar their truck manufacturer yeah that's the one that i i've got to visit quite a few times so oh so you so you're yeah. you've actually been I'm out directly so tell involved us. with that and i i found toby the new york times article i found him in the truck bed <laughs> i was so I'm very much into ethnography and what that is, is actually going and observing people in their environments, how they work so that I can design for them appropriately. And so there I was in Packard in Chillicothe, Ohio with these amazing people. Let's just say this, like they're just so wonderful and so welcoming. And I'm literally sitting in a half made truck <laughs> and I'm talking to Toby and he is just amazing because here's the thing. He's new. We're very focused on the novice and training right now. So because, so like we talk about the skills gap and basically what's happening is a lot of people are retiring out um, a large percentage in the next couple of years. And these companies are really, really worried about how to retain that workplace wisdom, 
right? How are they going to keep that wisdom inside and not let it all leave out the door? And also there's not going to be anybody left to train these people, right? So being able to capture the knowledge, capture these things in these very organic systems that there's a lot of, you know, like you watch these amazing people on these lines building these trucks and it's a dance, whether it's by themselves or with somebody else. And they're doing this together and it's, it's quick and it's fast and, you know, all these insights that we get. But they really need to find ways to train these people quickly because they're also not asking for college degrees anymore. They're getting people right out of high school. Um, I met a woman in training at PACAR who basically says she's never picked up a wrench before. A day later, this poor woman is on the engine of a Packard truck building it with, you know, they're training, they, they know, right? They're working on it and they're involved and they're, they, they're doing everything they can, you know, and, but, but she said this job for her and, and, you know, we, I talk about this Microsoft bubble or these worlds we live in. She said this job is her golden ticket, right? This job is her golden ticket to feed her family, right? Her husband's been injured in a factory. I saw her three months later, covered in bruises, still there. And I asked her all these questions. We're talking about how is it, how it's going and how HoloLens could help her and all these things. And she goes, it doesn't, the best thing is my fridge is full. Talk about me being able to do a job, right? Of being able to get these people to be in a way they're functioning and happy in their life and be able to retain these jobs because a lot of these people leave within a couple of days because they're so frustrated because of the training isn't good enough. Right. Mm-hmm. So these, I'm meeting a lot of amazing people that I think this, the, this, these tools will help. Training has to change. You're going and visiting a customer like this Prakar customer. Mm-hmm. What's going on in your brain? Like <laughs> you're, you're like when you're coming in, you're seeing this line, you're seeing this, gentleman working on something he's frustrated he's watching someone else work on the same thing and he's having to watch and he really can't do he's, he's kind of just learning right. by looking what starts going through your mind and if you can incorporate your design process like what are you looking for I'm, so I'm looking but most of all I'm listening I'm not asking a lot of questions it's all observing and like the thing that I left that first visit from Packar was was like oh my gosh, everything is moving. <laughs> like It's just fast. And we're talking like a second can save these companies millions of dollars. Better quality process can save someone's hand. I mean, like there's just so many, like, we're talking about real scenarios and real people. So I'm watching for all the, the gaps or these places to where the technology, where it is now or where I believe it could be in the future could help these scenarios and help them. I'm also looking for like, okay, well, what do I need to ask the central team, and what do they really need to work on for my app to be better for these people? It's all around the people. And we're not just talking the factory workers. We're talking the managers and the managers being able to. HoloLens is very, is very environmental. It, hey, there's so much data inside of this thing. I can track time. They're all about time. What can I do? So it's all that stuff going through my head, and it's a crazy, wonderful puzzle of fitting it together into something that's valuable. And is that... And you mentioned earlier these design principles that you follow. Mm-hmm. So for people, so for someone like myself who has no idea what the design, yeah. what a designer does, now I'm starting to look into that world Maybe. right now. I'm opening, <laughs> I'm opening the hood a little bit. And I love it. Are those principles? It seems like now those are things that are adopted into your ethos and things that you mm-hmm. just do. 
Yes. If you could talk to someone about what those principles are, what, what does that look like? You know, I think it's funny because every, every team I go to, we try to define new principles, right? Like what is this product's design principles? So we have principles for guides, but I also have my own personal principles that I run through. And those are typical of any designer and any process or anything. Is it discoverable? Is it usable? Is it authentic? You know, all those things. Is it likable? Is it desirable? You know, there's all the ubbles words that are um, a part of that. But, um, you know, and then for guides, it's, is this, is, you know, people have to be able to easily author a guide, right? We're, we're talking about real-time authoring and gathering of data um, and not, you know, I, I always say I want it to be as the same amount of time it does to t- create a current guide, like in a PowerPoint, let's say, the same amount of time it would be to create a holographic guide. And what, and what is, what is guide like in, in, Oh, with this dynamics 365 guide. So the product that I'm working on. Okay. Got it. So, got it. Yeah. And so guides is, uh, uh, basically in world learn by doing training application where you can, I think most importantly, learn by doing and have things actually pointing in your environment and step-by-step instructions, uh, as well as images and videos and all these media-rich things to help you learn the process that you need to learn. So, okay, now I'm understanding. I was I was thinking that there was some esoteric, like, God uh, meant something no, around like in the, the product esoteric. designer. Okay, so that's the name of the product that's mm-hmm. st- in Microsoft. Yeah. And what this is doing, and it's probably customized for your customer, but this thing will do, like I was just reading something where you can have this system scan barcodes of different equipment, and then mm-hmm. the equip- and then the, the system will calibrate based upon what that equipment or that tool is so that it can help you integrate with it and learn faster on it. Is that some of the things that Guides is helping you do? Is it super Not adaptive? Yet. Okay. There's no scanning of barcodes. I mean, obviously, it's something we'd like to get to. Um, but uh, it's more as a content writer or author, I would create a guide to train someone on how to put together the pack our door, for example. And not only could I use it in a training setting in a classroom and teach you how to use it there. But if you are feeling uncomfortable, which we heard a lot from a lot of the people, the new new or novice people on the floor, going to the person beside you and asking questions or feeling like a burden to the senior workers, you could put this device on, on the floor and it could step-by-step walk you through the same, you know, so it's a supportive, it's training and it's also supportive once you're out on the floor um, working through an assembly. And is it hard? I'm just trying to, and it was perfect imagery that you gave me with this woman that had never used the wrench. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like frightening to me just because I get in situations every day where I have to give a customer demo or talk about a product that I don't really know that well, but Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just talking to somebody. I'm not picking up a tool and like in this environment where things are moving and it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, Yeah. I mean, how do you think about you know, so let's say I'm a gay woman or a man and in, yeah. my, in that environment, like how, is there a certain thing that you do to try to understand that user 
um, from multiple different angles? Is that inherent in you as a person? What's the best way that you can think about those different things? Well, I think with 3D in general, regardless of man, woman, um, it's so how I would put together that Packard door if I was six foot five versus five foot two is very different. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I might need a step stool to jump up on. And like they do these hacks and they create these own things. I remember the door is an actual example. I decided that I was going to go through the journey of creating a guide by taking the manual that they gave to people to learn and some videos they sent me. It took me three weeks to figure out what the heck was going on with this door. I was super frustrated. By the time I got to Packard, the woman, the senior woman that was showing me how she did it, I asked her a question. I can't remember what question it was, but she turned around to me and she said, Charlotte, I am not showing you how I would train you. I'm showing you how I would do this. Right. And so they're two very different things. She'll go, I'll give you some tips along the way, but those tips might not work for you. So how do we make a product that's organic enough to be structured enough of this is how you do it for quality, but because you're five, two, you might need to have some trips and tricks, right. To mm-hmm. do it differently. Um, but you know, it's body, it's ergonomics. It's the weight of the device on your head with HoloLens too. It's so much easier to talk about scenarios that are going, you know, more than a couple hours now because they can have it on their head because the weight is balanced so nicely. Um, FOV is bigger, right? So you can see more and we don't, you know, we don't have to worry about the environment being cut off in any way for safety reasons. So you look at all those things, right? One thing that's really interesting about these factories is they're super noisy. I've been designing HoloLens with sound because sound is the best, that 3D sound is the best thing for me. And all of a sudden I don't have sound because it's so freaking loud in there. So, you know, it's, and I would, I think the bottom line is, is I wouldn't have known any of this unless I had had gotten the opportunity that I fought for to go into these factories like Packard, like John Deere, like Toy, all these amazing customers that we have and sit down and, you know, and watch and listen and have empathy for whoever they are, regardless of race, gender, equality, anything. Um, it's all different for everybody. It's just human. So it so it's a lot of listening, it's a lot of observing. I think it com- keeps coming back full circle, and now I'm imagining what you're doing out there. You're probably understanding the demographics and the way people look and behave and move, mm-hmm. and all these different things. Where it, you you can't know that unless you were to go out there and observe all of that, yeah. and you're observing the environment, and then the sound thing. I mean, I would have never. Right. How would you know? You know, how would you even know about that? You wouldn't. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And I think it's like it something we've done in the, from the very beginning of Holland's and honestly coming from a, from being a 2d designer and moving into 3d was probably the hardest thing that I ever did in my career. It was super, super hard. Um, I struggled and I failed a lot because no one understood me as a UX designer because they were all gamers and I didn't understand them because they were gamers. I was like research. They're like, what do you mean by that? You know, like yeah. you, you know, it was very hard. Um, but now this, the the one thing that I think we all always agreed on throughout the whole process was you have to experience it. There's like a quote at the aquarium in Vancouver. Like if you don't experience it, you can never understand it. 
you know, and I think that's just true about life <laughs> in general, right? You have to experience it. You have to try and get into someone's shoes or at least listen to their shoes, right? To be able to give them what they need. So you, you totally teed me up on this thing. Oh, I did. Um, so, okay. So great. I, I went, I went to a, a celebration, a collaboration and a connection event for <laughs> the field team in the U S I believe called the digital transformation Academy. Oh, cool. And Kate Johnson, um, who's on the senior leadership team over Microsoft us, the field sales marketing and operations, I believe she brought out a gentleman named Brian Stevenson. Mm. And he's a social justice leader. He's been, he's been fighting to get innocent people off of death row, mm. um, done a ton of work with children who have, who have been accused uh, and tried as adults. So mm. a, a, just an amazing human being. And he, he came on the stage and they did like a, an interview and he talked about empathic action and mm. how to mm-hmm. actually put empathy into action. This was like a sales conference. Yeah, I I was just about to say how amazing that our world is getting to that. And Microsoft is getting to that, right? It's crazy. They decided to put in and that's because diversity of people in the room, period. It's it. It blew my mind. And this guy's story and exactly what you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, I'm working at a tech company and they're investing like a two, three hour segment into it. And they're simply just trying to make us better human beings because we're more valuable employees. And he talked about what empathic action actually means. And he's like, there's four things that he's learned over his, his quest for uh, uh, civil rights equality. And it's essentially been, you have to change the narrative, work to change whatever narrative there is at Picard. It's like only men work here or something. And then, <laughs> yeah. it, and then it's proximity. Like how close are you getting to the actual problem? Mm-hmm. Uh, another one was hope. Can't mm-hmm. I can't remember his his fourth. I uh, like hope ac- a lot. action. Action. Yeah. yeah. Having yeah. hope. Like what is it that gets you to stand up and, and say your mind? Yeah. What you, what you what's on your mind? And finally it was what action are you taking? Yeah. And I'm listening to what you're saying, and it it's essentially those things for how you're incorporating it into the design, the world of design. I think there's such an emotional I want my engineers on the team, like, and we have the, some of the best people I've ever worked with on this team. And, but like, I want them to think of that woman at PACAR, right? When they're building that feature to think she's fighting to get food in her fridge. I can make this transition for the next person so much easier that maybe Charla will show up and they're not covered in bruises and stabbed themselves in the head with a wrench falling off the engine of the truck, right? Mm -hmm. And not have been scared to talk to the senior people because you could just go into the device and your manager can see with the data that you're getting better or you're not and how to help and support you as a human, right? Technology does not need to be emotionless. And I think that it's like a mistake we all made for a very long, long time, including myself. We're caught up in flashing banner ads and internet and websites for, you know, like in the beginning that it was, it was so new and I'm trying not to make the same mistakes now with these new devices. And when a, a business owner or a business decision maker or CEO or COO or someone is thinking about how to meet this digital transformation thing that's happening in every single workplace, 
and they're thinking about the skills gap. Like, why should they consider this? What's the biggest, have you observed something like, this is why people aren't adopting this faster? Is it because they don't know about it or is Mm -hmm. it they don't understand it? Is it? I think like we're, I mean, the devices are coming, right? They're not there. I'm not, you're not able to go out and sell 3000 of these and they, you, we can deliver them tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one thing, but it's not holding back people from supporting us and making sure we're making the right product. And I'm talking about customers have been with us the whole way there um, developing and building this and, you know, trialing it and all that good stuff. Um, I think they just see how much money is flying out the door. I think it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm really bad with numbers, but I think it's like 80% of what you learn and I'm in the range in the, if you don't use it within two weeks, of that training, it's lost 80% of it. So why the hell am I going to send you to a conference? And then maybe six months later, you might use that thing, or you're going to go learn word, whatever. Like, it's crazy. So they're starting to realize that, you know, and here's like, I did this crazy. I'm also very experimental with the way I figure out. And one thing I believe in is that like, okay, what's the real world example that I can pull from that because technology is so new, I can't look to another website to say, oh, how did they do it? And how did they do it? Well, there's nothing out there for me to compare to, but I could compare to Lego. Lego has the best manuals and guides probably in the world with some problems. So I ran a bunch of experience and I had experiments and I had a bunch of people come through and build Lego and I watched how they used the guide and how they did this and gained. So it's another way to, you know, how can I take, if I can't get into device, how can I bring it out of the device? And into the real world, and what's that real world comparison? But even then, it's like I watched someone go through this build of a dinosaur with Lego a couple times using the manual, and I asked them the question. I was like, "Hey, what do you think? How many more times would you have to do this to learn?" And he looked at me like I was crazy and said, "I'm not learning this. I'm just reading the manual." I'm like, "Oh shit!" right? We're in trouble because we've been creating this step-by-step guide saying we're training people when we're not. We're supporting them to learn this thing, but we have to give them room to make mistakes because that's how you learn. Like there's all these things that are important in learning, but if you're doing it in 3D and manipulating it and interacting with it, that amount of understanding with the data and research Microsoft has goes up exponentially. So I can, I know why you would retain what I teach you in 3D better and retain it longer than if I just put you in a class for a couple of days. And that's what I would tell any business decision maker. This is what's going to make your employees retain the information and you're not going to be just throwing money out the door. And, and it's not just, I mean, everybody talks about learning and we're always reading these articles and it's like HBR and it's like Instagram. We're constantly like flooding our, this is how you learn. It's like every single book. Yeah. I'm tired of reading stuff on how you learn. It, it seems like, I mean, you're talk high level. You're just like, this is what you do. This is what the mm-hmm. team does. Yeah. You guys are putting together this script for how people could learn based upon data, based upon the insights you glean from it. Yeah. And it's working and you have results. Yeah. It's really exciting. And we shipped today. So there you go. Good for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> it has, has it changed the way that you learn? A hundred percent. We have this amazing woman on our team that is used to be a teacher 
and is now a data scientist. And she has taught me so much about how people learn just in general and how, you know, phase two, phase three of our app of how we can support people, not just here's the assembly and this is what you need to know, but how we can start teaching them and helping them retain it throughout time. Um, So those are things that are all to come and things that we're looking into. So again, it's taking that, okay, here's this product that's all holograms and really cool, but in the real world, what do we know is successful that we can bring into our app to make sure that it's doing the right things? Heavy art background, Mm-hmm. You're spending time with these customers, obviously surrounded with this technology. I'm not sure exactly how much touch you have with the the actual technology or mm. the code or whatever. I, um, I am the lead designer on all of authoring and I'm in there making yeah. it happen. So how do you how did you learn that? How did you pick that up? Okay. And what what advice would you would you give to someone who wants to step in the shoes that, you, that you're wearing like pe- people I think are are struggling with this learning concept I'm thinking selfishly about you being in this role and being able to adapt quickly to this role mm. like are there some things some takeaways that people can start thinking about in terms of how the way that they work and how, if they want to escalate and go further in their career I, I, I agree with you 100% that pe- there's a lot of people wanting to get into this industry and figure out how to be successful in, in it. Um, you know, it's, what would I do? I think, you know, there's some basics of it, understanding 3d in a very basic level and getting you under, like if I'm going to get technical, do some unity work, you know, like just figure that out a little bit, understand a 3d model in basic terms. I'm lucky in the fact that I have amazing artists and 3D artists and all these people on the team. Like I I have a, there's a a larger team around me. So I don't necessarily have to be an expert in all those things, but it's, there's two parts to, I think anything that happens in any sort of XR or mixed reality or VR, whatever we want to call it. And it's the emotional storytelling and getting to be a really good storyteller and being able to sell that idea or sell that feature or sell that thing. And then, so that's kind of like the heart of what you're doing. And then it's the head. It's that data piece that like, don't walk into the room with a mood board, Charla, right? There is a data piece that we really need to focus on. I, I don't go to design school, go and learn what user experience is. And because it is a craft, it is something that I take very, very seriously and the people around me do. But that's not to say that like not one person on our team has gone through the same journey to get here. We're a bunch of crazy people that have just gone, followed some crazy path and we're in Vancouver building this now, right? Um, There's 3D artists, there's people that built 3D toolkits for games, there's you know, I mean, a QA tester that's now an amazing designer. And, you know, then we also have someone from Cornell. So, you know, it's all over. So, um, but your path and your journey is what it is. It's, you'll find it if you're passionate about it. I do believe that. You can't not do it. I can't not do it. Would you say that that passion is what keeps you up in 
what's going. I mean, this stuff is changing daily all the time. Yeah. There's younger people yeah. coming into the workforce. I yeah. mean, it's like the new academics, new classes, new everything. Mm. Is it that passion that keeps you aligned to the new information? I think, like, I think so. Maybe. Yeah. I think I'm competitive. Mm-hmm. I, I want anything. I think anything I want to do, I want to do it well and better than anyone else, which I try to keep quiet <laughs> a lot of the time. Cause I don't think that's allowed anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I've always been a super empathetic person since I was a kid, you know, empathy, 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 empathy of everything. I can't watch the nature channel for goodness sakes. I can't see animals hurting each other. Like I've always been overly sensitive. And I think that's something that's really helped me along the way. And I also feel like I have a superpower where I can read people in the room pretty quickly. And I took that first encounter very seriously. And I have, I am now honed the skill of, I know who's in the room and I know what I'm going to be delivering. I didn't know how to present it. And I've shopped it around. We call it Seinfelding, um, where we go around and make sure everybody is buy off before I go into the meeting. So everyone's done and I don't have to have Seinfelding. Yes. That's, yeah, a, ta- yeah. that's a tactic in, um, advocacy. Yeah. You're advocating an idea. There's a lot of studies saying that you should advocate Mm one-on-one before you get to the group setting. And so, you know, is Seinfelding a larger term than just our group? I've always thought it was us, but I wasn't sure if, do you know what? I've never heard, I've never heard that, but I'm just thinking about Jerry Seinfeld (laughs) and his apartment talking (laughs) to all his individual friends then yeah. somehow convincing well, no, them to do he would really go to all these underground comedy clubs and try out his material on all these audiences and hone it and hone it and hone it until he got onto the big stage. And so that's basically what we're talking about. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's a new thing. I like, I didn't think anyone else. I said it. And then I'm like, Oh gosh, I just used a weird word. Am I allowed to use that word? I don't know, but I did. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I, I mean, that's very, a very iterative process where you're just mm-hmm honing a particular story so it sounds like a lot of storytelling it's there's sensitivity and there's a human subjective approach there's also a quantitative approach as well Mm -hmm. it sounds like a a lot of skills that come out of who you are as a person and everyone Mm -hmm. should really it sounds like everyone should really that wants to do this kind of work or from your perspective if they want to get into some kind of field it's a lot of different things that have to align, but a lot of it is knowing who you are and, and what you mm-hmm. want to do. And, and that's probably, I know you work with, with kids and it's just probably the storyline that you're constantly preaching. It's a pretty healthy one. Totally. Cause I was that kid that was bullied, right? I was the kid that was called weird by parents, right? That I thought I was normal, you know, and that it was that one art teacher in high school that was like, chain smoking, black covered in clay outfit, right? That, yeah, yeah. that made me realize it didn't matter who I was. And I, that it didn't matter if I was different. It didn't matter. It was, I was, I was talented. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and now like, gosh, everyone was worried. You're going to starve for your art. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. be a starving artist. Go to math. And that's so not the case anymore. Yeah. And I think it ties into two. It's like these high schools I was just in a high school last week. And in the case was how to get into trades jobs, right? And there's all this data as parents were like, go be a doctor, go be whatever. But on it, like if you start looking at the kind of money doctors make compared to the kind of money a tradesperson makes, 
all the schooling that they have to pay off for the first 15 years of their career, all those things where the trade person goes straight into work and starts making decent money. Mm-hmm. It starts evening out. It's this weird mindset we, we've had, right? Mm-hmm. And now high schools, it's something like California, I think, was the state that actually changed their marketing plan and started pushing trades um, in the last couple of years and used their marketing dollars for that instead of universities because they're trying to, they're seeing the gap. And they're also trying, they're kind of saying, oh, wait, these kids could be able to do this stuff. I mean, that's what they do in Germany. Yeah. They, they're massive advocators of vocational schools. And I don't think they believe in raises. I read this article oh, in The Economist. Yeah. Um, but they give people additional opportunities for learning mm. and in terms of benefits. And they give additional vacation. So they're able to price down, they're able to control the prices of their their output, their products, and, and just a genius yeah. way of educating and skilling their so workforce. Smart. So yeah. smart. So smart. And we're approaching a student loan crisis. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it, it's getting pretty terrible. So I know we're at the top of the hour. Wanted to ask you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> any, looks like you're pretty active. You're on the, uh, the VRAR Association Board in Vancouver. You're quite busy, you're visiting high schools and you're having these conversations with these these children about their careers. What other passion projects do you have going on? What are you working um, on when you're not working at Microsoft? I actually am working on a book um, that hopefully I'll come back and talk to you about more um, in regards to helping and supporting people that want to get into this industry but and think a little bit differently, right? It's, it, then, um, then just the 2D designer that I used to be. So that's part of that. And then my children, that's all it is. It's all about them. How many Disneyland's and Lego lands can we get to in one year? Right? Like that's important. Good, good. Well, next time you're at Disneyland, you got to look me up and Deal. Uh, we'll go, go grab a cherry soda. <laughs> 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 okay, cool. So last question. Yes, sir. If you could solve any problem, in the world, any problem at all, unlimited resources with seven days to do it, what would it be? And the last person I had on said that they would clean out their garage. <laughs> and that might, like what comes to mind automatically is like a very uh, pageant answer, right? Like they just want to, you know, save the children um, and the environment and the everything. I feel like there's world is so many large problems going on that we've created for ourselves. But I, I think I would just want to teach people empathy and love. However I do that, I don't know. I need a big brainstorm, but um, I just want more love and empathy in the world. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on, Sharla. Um, it was thank a, you so a much for having me. Special occasion. You have a great story and your perspective is awesome. And now I can think of you and I'm thinking about some of the, the products that we're shipping. Cool. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> How can folks get a hold of you? I'm LinkedIn. So Charlotte Pereira on LinkedIn is perfect. Just message me there. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Have a okay, good one. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at the 
The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.